And so today we're going to talk about, on this Labor Day weekend, about occupation and vocation. Uh, and then next week we'll start a new series called Back to the Basics, where we're going to talk about our mission statement, vision, and core values. Uh, and uh, so we'll be doing that. But I'm reading, um, I'm reading the green, and uh, you're reading the white, and this is what it says. And when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. The Lord God took the man put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. You're all still on vacation, aren't you? And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And you just ended vacation. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Let's pray. Father, again we give you praise and we give you thanks for your love and for your mercy and for your grace and the way in which you've exhibited all of that in, through, and as Jesus Christ. And for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes everything that you have accomplished and made available in Jesus and make it applicable to our lives. Now we ask as we look at your word that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend. And particularly as we leave this place today and go out into our homes and our neighborhoods and the places where we get our food and gas and places where we get our education and where we work particularly today, help us to know and to live out what it means to be Christ followers, to be devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we ask these mercies in Christ's name and for his name's sake, amen. You may be seated. How do we introduce ourselves when we meet somebody new? How do you introduce yourself when you get you know, past your name and that kind of thing? How do you introduce yourself to people who are new? Now, most of us think of ourselves in terms of roles, titles, and our jobs. And then, and then we determine our personal status and worth by the amount of prestige recognition that these titles suggest or lack of. Did you know that other people determine 75% of their opinion of us by the way that we present ourselves to them immediately? 
And the other 25% is determined by our actual work, our skills, and our reputation. Now, our persona, our persona, is what we want others to see us or how we want others to see us. Our identity is how we see and understand ourselves. And our dignity is how we view our worth as individuals. Today is Labor Day weekend, Labor Day Sunday, I guess, and tomorrow we get the day off. Does anybody other than me think it's odd that we celebrate Labor Day by not working? I don't know, maybe it's just my crazy sense of humor. But um, we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about vocation and occupation today, our jobs. But before we get there, I want to tell you this story. Christopher Huritz tells the story about Father Larry Gillick, who was visiting an elementary school class, and he was giving um, uh, presentations to various uh, classes. And so after sharing with such a class, or one such class, a young girl, a little girl, probably third, fourth grade, approached him and struck up a conversation. And a few minutes into the discussion, a look of pure astonishment flashed into this young student's eyes. And suddenly she blurted it out, you're blind, which was true. And Gillick had contacted some sort of illness when he was just a small child and had been blind since then. And with gentle tenderness, Gillick responds to her and says, that's not news to me. But before he could say anything else, she quickly moved from shock to sadness, replying, you don't know what you look like. And that profound statement by such a young person caught Gillick off guard. And before he could comment, she softly said this. You're beautiful. Now, when it comes to recognizing the truth of our own identities, most of us experience a symbolic version of blindness that keeps us from seeing ourselves for who we really are. How often our lives are marked by self-perpetuating lies about who we think we are, and how we wish to be seen by others. And sadly, a lot of us don't know who we are and what we look like. And it actually takes an unlikely person to remind us that we truly are beautiful. Now, most of us have to be reminded regularly. I know that I do that we are more than the good or the bad that we have done in our lives. In fact, you and I, we are much more than what we have done. We are much more than what we have. And we are much more than what others think and say about us. And all of these things are part of our identity. As I said, our identity is about how we see and understand ourselves. 
Our dignity is about how we view our worth. And those two things can be very different. So coming to our topic this morning, you and I, we are much more than what we do. Our work is much different than who we are. Now, as we talk about our subject this morning, I want you to keep those things in mind, if you will, that you are beautiful, and that what we do is not necessarily always say the most about who we are. So let's talk, first of all, about work in the beginning. Now, according to the biblical story that we just read, and of course, I've just given you highlights because we didn't have time to read it all, that human beings, as human beings, we were originally intended, created for work. From the beginning, God planned work for men and women and men and women for work. Genesis tells us that human beings were brought into the world to enjoy but also to manage a place of great beauty, a place of great order, and a place of great delight. And the work that Adam and Eve did in the garden was good, and it was pleasant, and it was pleasurable. No hardship, no pain or struggle was associated with the work that they had to do at that time. But, but, it was still work. Now, the picture that we have from the beginning is that we were intended for work. That work was intended to be a, an act that was happily performed for the benefit of creation, for the benefit of ourselves, and for our fellow human beings, and for the glory of God. And what I want you to sort of understand here is that work is not a part of the fall, although the fall affected our work, and we'll get to that in a moment, but work was instituted by God and intended by God for us as human beings and for us as human beings to work long before the fall of Adam and Eve, long before sin and the curse entered the word. Get that under your belt. So in the Garden of Eden, work was performed as it was meant to be as an act of worship. Now, the New Testament affirms or reaffirms the essential dignity of work as an act of worship. And we read it and we know it often where Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God to, prevent, to present your bodies, to present your bodies, whether we work with our brains or our physical hands or whatever it is we do, it's still our bodies, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or one version says your spiritual act of worship. Now I want you to pause for a moment, and I want you to think about this question. I want you to think about your work, your job, and even for you that are retired, what you're doing in your retirement, I want you to think about this question. Think about your work, your place of work. Can we imagine what we do for work as an act of worship? Do we view what we do for work, our job, 
our vocation, our occupation, do we view it as an act of worship? Now, that might sound a bit far-fetched for some of us, but the ironic thing is that this is exactly what work was originally designed to be, worshipful, meaningful, pleasurable, and good. And sometimes we, we joke about the curse of work. Work is not a curse. Now, work did get cursed, but work itself is not a curse. And so then, if work isn't a curse, then why is it so difficult at times? If work isn't a curse, then why is it so unpleasant and unenjoyable at times? And I've already made the note that it wasn't until after what we call the fall, where sin enters the world, that the nature of work drastically changed. Now, the fall changed the nature of work in two ways. First, work now required pain and sweat. Now, Genesis chapter 3 that we read, verses 16 to 19, sort of gives us the highlights of what happened. And there is a female penalty to um, work, and there is a male penalty to work. For the female penalty, it has, like the male, two components. First of all, the increased pain in childbirth. Now, just a couple of things to think about here for a moment. Traditionally, we have been taught and we have learned that before the fall of Adam and Eve, that women gave childbirth without pain. And that may be right, but that's not exactly the way the Bible says it. The way the Bible says it is that God says, I will surely multiply or increase your pain in childbearing. So the point might be that even from the very beginning, before the fall, that there may have been a measure of discomfort for women in reproducing. Just something to think about. Now, I want you to put your seatbelt on, because some of you are going to get your world rocked here. The second penalty for women, for females, was an inordinate desire toward her husband an inordinate desire of females toward males. Now, Genesis seems to suggest a compulsive quality to a woman's attraction to a man. Now, follow me. The attraction is normal, but the compulsion is not. Now, what I mean by that is this. That because of the fall, the tendency for women is to love, to lean, and to bend too much. Too much is the operative word here, or statement, as part of the penalty that women experience in a fallen world. It seems that originally that there was a greater equality than inequality between Adam and Eve. 
that in fact there was more of an intended partnership as opposed to an inordinate or excess dependency on the part of Eve toward Adam. And the place fell silent. So let that sit there for a while. Of course, like females, the male also experienced some penalties. And the first one was the pain of provision or the pain in provision. Genesis 3.17 says that in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The exact same word that is used for the female in regard to childbirth is the exact same word that is used in the text for the male in regard to physical work. The fall changed not only our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another and also our relationship with creation. And that brings us to the second penalty for men or for males, and that is that our work is no longer efficient, inefficiency. This side of Eden, inefficiency, thorns and thistles are the reality. And although work itself is part of the order of creation, the hardship, the struggle, and the sometimes drudgery so often associated with work is not. And we continually live in this ongoing tension. So does our work matter to God? Does your work matter to God? Does my work matter to God? Well, in a nutshell, if I understand it correctly, God sees our work, your work, and my work as an important part or an extension of his work on earth. And even though work is cursed by pain and inefficiency, thorns and thistles, God uses our work for the sake of his glory. So work matters, and our work matters. Your work matters to God. Now, Paul says in Colossians these words, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Unless we can connect what we do all day long in our work or night long with what we think God wants us doing, then we will never find ultimate meaning in our work. Let me say that again. Unless we can connect what we do all day long with what we think God wants us doing, then we'll never find meaning in our work. So how do we make that connection? Well, I think part of the problem is that we have a tendency in the Christian church anyway, I don't know about other people, but in the Christian church as evangelicals, as Christians, we have a tendency to compartmentalize life in two components, what I call the sacred and the secular. 
and that God cares about work of the sacred, preaching and teaching and evangelism and mission and humanitarian work and so on. These are sacred. But we tend to think of people who work in medicine and education and manufacturing and science and computer technology and electricians and mechanics, etc. They are secular and are second class in God's view. But our work, no matter what it is as value and inherent worth for at least two reasons. No matter we fit in what we call the sacred category or the secular category, that our work matters because it has value and its inherent worth is in the fact that God himself is a worker. And you open your Bible or your device to the very beginning of the book. And one of the first ways that, matter of fact, the very first way, the very first way, that God reveals himself to us is as a worker. And if you don't know that, then just read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, and it says this. On the, sab- on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, <clears throat> and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, that he had done. In case we didn't get it the first time, in one verse, it's repeated for us, in case we're just a little slow. The activity of creating is God's work. Now, speaking quite literally, and I don't think it means this, so after God took the seventh day off and took a day off that week, on Monday he went back to work. Actually, I think it was Saturday, but we won't I think you get the point. God went back to work. And how do I know this? How do we know this? That God went back to work on the eighth day. Because Jesus told us. Jesus told us this. And you're all thinking, where in the world did Jesus say that? Well, that's for me to know and you to find out. But I'm going to help you out. I'm going to tell you. John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this. Are you ready? My father is working until now. There it is. My father is working until God is a worker. And that alone, as being the first way that he reveals himself to us and says it twice for us, in case we didn't get it the first time, that work must be significant, that your work must be significant, my work must be significant, and our work must have intrinsic value to God. And therefore, it should to us. And then I'm going to bring you to this. Calling. Calling. Did you know that the word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which actually means to be called, to be called. Now, there is a difference between work and a job, or to put it another way, there is a difference between occupation and vocation. And this is where vocation and calling comes into play. 
Now, I want you to pause for a moment, and I want you to think about this in this context. I don't know, I, I know what some of you do, but I don't know what all of us do, but you do. You know what you do. Have you ever thought about what you do, where you do it, when you do it, for your work, for your job, for your employment, as a calling from God? that it might be possible that God has actually called you to what you're doing. Have you ever thought about that? Now, calling, of course, has a couple of implications. First of all, that we are called to be human beings. And David Benner says these words. He says, genuine Christian, sorry, I went the wrong way, didn't I? <clears throat> First of all, calling has to do with being the call to be human beings. And David Benner says these words. Genuine Christ followers, sorry, genuine Christ following will always make us more, <clears throat> not less human. We know something is seriously wrong, if it does not. The genuine Christian Christ following will always make us more, not less human. And if it makes us less human and not more, then there's something seriously wrong. So first of all, we're called to be humans, and then second, we are called to be Christians. This builds, if you will, on the first by showing us the pathway, the route, to the fulfillment of our humanity. This connects our calling, our vocation, our work, our job, our employment with our uniqueness as a way of living out our mission or God's mission in the world. Gordon Smith said, much bigger than a career, job, or occupation. Our unique calling will be based on our gifts and abilities. We'll grow out of our deepest desires and will always involve some response to the needs of the world. So if you want to think about calling in your vocation, in your job, in your employment, think about how does it benefit somebody other than myself. And I'm not just thinking monetarily I'm, or materially. How does it benefit other people? And then Janet Hepberg, Hagberg rather, said this. It's a long quote, but I think it's worth, and I put it in your notes, I think it's worth having. Good work and a good job are not the same things. A good job is often defined as clean, high-paying, secure, and prestigious. Good work is different. Good work is often defined as integrated, something in which you are and what you do fit together congruently. More specifically, good work includes harmonious coordination of experience, interest, skills, and conscience what she calls balance of mind, body, and spirit. And so our vocation, our calling, our job, 
is a response to God's call to take our place in the kingdom. Our vocation, our calling, is a call to serve God and our fellow human beings in the distinctive way that fits and shapes our own uniqueness. And our vocation and calling is a way, is our way of being in the world, of working in our world that is both best for us and best for the world we live in. Frederick Buechner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And so work is a major part of our life that God takes very seriously. Did you hear that? Work is a major part of our lives that God takes very seriously. And so the automatic question that comes back to us is this, do we? Do we take our work, our employment, our vocation, seriously and understand that it is our way in the world and our way in the kingdom of God of being an extension of God's work. And then we're left with this question. Why work? Now, we've talked about there are many reasons we're designed to work. Our work matters to God and others and personal fulfillment. But there are some obvious rewards for working. First of all, it provides for the basic needs of life. Simple as that. Another one is that it provides money so we can actually enjoy the basic things of life. But have you thought about this? That working provides a structure for our lives. Just think about it for a moment. Just think about it. We order our entire lives around our work schedules. Our vacation, our most important celebrations like 30 and 40 and 50 year anniversaries and and birthdays all get allocated around the structure of our work. We put it off or we do it earlier so that our work schedules or it can fit with our work schedules. Our Work life, our occupation, our vocation, organizes, it creates routine. It forces us into the rhythm of life. And we become so attuned and so well-adjusted to these rhythms that we barely notice them until retirement. Or we don't have work, we get laid off, or we lose our job, or we can't work because of physical realities. And then all of a sudden we realize how meaningful and important work has been in our lives. And I know, we all joke and talk about, you know, if we had enough money not to work. Most of us would go insane, or the people around us would go insane. Somebody said a great definition of retirement is you get twice the spouse and half the money. And then there's personal identity. And we've talked about that. Working for a reward is hardwired in all of us. 
And secondly, not only are we hardwired to work for rewards, we are also hardwired to enjoy the rewards. Did you get that? We are hardwired to enjoy. It's not wrong to enjoy the hard, the rewards of our hard work. So our work is supposed to be more than just a job. It's a calling. It's a vocation. But how many of us, if not all of us, I do, believe it or not, from time to time, complain about my work? But I'm learning because I'm growing up, growing up, that life is either too long or too short not to enjoy what we do for a living. Abraham Lincoln once said that people are just about as happy as they expect to be. And then, lastly, Norman Cousins says, the tragedy of life is not death. Rather, it is what we allow to die within us while we live. Maybe it's time for us to look at our work differently. Originally, work was intended to be good, enjoyable, pleasurable, meaningful, rewarding, and an act of worship. Maybe it's time for us to revisit, to recalibrate our thinking and our spirit in regard to working. I'm going to invite the ushers to come. And uh, we're going to share the communion together in just a few minutes. And as they're taking their place and getting organized, I want to want to read. I want to read a poem to you. And I put it on the screen so that you could actually see it, because poems are hard to visualize or um, hear if you don't see them as well. So it's called Picking Daisies. And Nathan Land writes, If I had my life to live over again, I would pick more daisies. If I had my life to live over again, I would try to make more mistakes next time. I would be sillier than I had been this trip. I would relax and I would limber up. I know very few things I would take seriously. I would be crazier. I would be less hygienic. I would take more chances. I would take more trips. I would climb more mountains, swim more rivers, and watch more sunsets. I would burn more gasoline. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. Amen. I would have some actual troubles and fewer imaginary ones. You see, I am one of those people who live prophylactically, insensible and sanely, hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I have had my mad moments. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have more of them. 
In fact, I try to have nothing else. Just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead. I have been one of those people who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a gargle, a raincoat, and a parachute. If I had to live over again, I would go places and travel lighter than I have. If I had to live my life over again, I would start barefoot earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would play hooky more and would ride on more merry-go-rounds. I'd pick more daisies. Life is too long or too short not to enjoy it. Even our work and our vocation and what it is that we do for our employment. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you have set a world that makes so much sense that, Lord, we're not just punished for our sins. We are punished by our sins. And one of our great sins is that we miss the mark when it comes to the importance, the value, the worth, the meaning, the extension of your work in our work. So I pray as we take a moment today to reflect around this and as we come together around the table of the Lord, by your spirit that you will help us to make these connections. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.